0: Hello and welcome to Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I am of course your host Jamie McKinley and we have another brilliant episode in store for you today. And joining us on the podcast this week is the incredibly talented Gemma Barnett. And Gemma is an actor, a spoken word artist, a writer. She does lots of amazing things and I love this conversation. It was really, really fun to record. And Gemma was just so insightful and so honest about her experiences in the industry so far. She just spoke with such passion and, you know, it was just a really, really enjoyable one to record. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And Gemma also has her play coming out today, Agatha, it's out today and that runs till the 5th of March at the Pleasance in London as she says in the episode, because this is coming out quite last minute, the play may be sold out but there probably is resale tickets available so if you if you think this sounds good from today's episode and you're based in London or nearby, be sure to have a wee look and try and get a wee resale ticket because um, it sounds like a great show and it's always good to support the arts and of course you'll hear more about it in today's episode uh, with Gemma, but before I get into that I just wanted to mention a few things and the first thing I want to sort of talk about quickly is and I know a lot of people listen to this podcast for a form of escapism and an entertainment and whatever so I appreciate this is a difficult subject that people might not want to hear about because of you know and I'm aware people get anxious and there's a 24 hour news cycle in this country as it is so if you don't really want to hear me talk about this maybe skip forward about a minute but I just wanted to quickly mention the horrible war that Russia is waging on the innocent people of Ukraine obviously like many people it's a very very sad and harrowing thing. to to be reading about and it's terrible and it makes even recording things like this just not feel very important right now but I just wanted to quickly mention that obviously we can't do a lot to influence things like this in the world sadly on an individual basis but there is things we can do and one of the things we can do Is donating to charities that help refugees. So underneath this week's episode of the podcast, I have linked a few charities that are directly helping displaced Ukrainian citizens who have been affected by this horrible illegal Russian war. So if you feel like donating to them, there's links to them in the show notes. And we're going to be donating this month's Patreon to that as well, because this is obviously something that's just horrible and as i said it is, it is it is horrible feeling very helpless and like you can't do much for a situation but you know if even little things like this do make a huge difference so i've linked them in the show notes there's a couple of different ones so feel free to have a wee look through them and thank you for, for sort of listening me go off on that because I know as I said a lot of people listen to this as a form of escapism and it is a heavy subject Um, so thank you. Another thing as well is, as always if you're enjoying this podcast remember there's lots and lots of things you can do to help us keep growing. First one is you can share it so if you enjoyed today's episode of Gemma and this is your first time listening be sure to tell friends and family to listen and if you're a regular listener as well and you just like listening to this podcast in general be sure to share it with friends and family and be sure to leave us a review and subscribe and all the usual stuff as well but yeah i think that's everything so without much further ado i hope you enjoy episode 69 of just get a real job with the wonderfully talented Gemma barnett well hi jemma good evening and thank you very much for coming on just get a real job it's great to have you on
1: thank you very much for having me
0: so Gemma, you are an actor a writer a spoken word artist you do a lot of different things so You're going to be a perfect fit for this podcast, I'm sure there's plenty for us to talk about.
1: Yeah, that's really nice to hear. I feel like I've stumbled into a lot of stuff, but I've been thinking a lot about that recently, and I I think a lot of it is just kind of having the confidence to go for stuff in a way that, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of shame about even calling yourself an artist or a writer, because there seems to be, like, a certain point that you have to hit before you can validate it, I guess, so it's interesting when people like label you all those things, and I still don't really see myself as it. But yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's a that's a very, very common thing on this podcast. Because obviously this podcast is aimed at emerging creatives. Whatever that even means, I feel like I've just sort of made it up to suit. I need to I feel like I will <laughs> be
1: emerging until I drop dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know I mean that this the, you know, this is this podcast is for younger creatives and people who are maybe at the start of their careers like myself in this industry, which is very broad, and and I get that a lot. People are like, Well, I don't really see myself as that, but it's you know. But then I think, you know, there's not really a rule on it. If, you know, you are an actor, you do spoken word, so therefore you technically are that, and that's, you know, totally valid.
1: Yeah. I read a really good tweet recently, actually. I've actually come off Twitter because I think it's hell, but (laughs) I, uh, i read one and this woman was talking about everything she'd learned turning, I think it was 50 or 40. I'm not sure. But one of the things she said was stop waiting for permission to do things. And I really, really loved that. She was like, if you want to write an article, just write an article, just write it and put it out there. And I think that is, I mean, I find the internet like questionable, a lot of it, but I do think that has been something that I've really enjoyed whether it's like writing a poem on your notes on your phone and putting it on Instagram as I feel like that's a very easy thing to mock or parody and there's still a part of me that cringes every single time I do it but there is that thing of like you don't need to be told that you've had to sort of go down a specific route to be published in order to share your writing and that sort of stuff and I just think it's made it Quite a lot more accessible, which isn't.
0: Yeah, nice. no, it de- um, definitely, It definitely has. It's like, it's like DIY almost. It's like he it gives you the platform to do it. And I, and I, I just had a look at some of your poems on your Instagram when I was researching for this. And I, you know, I, I think it's cool. I don't think you should be like embarrassed at all about that. I think it's a really cool way of expressing, like, you know, your art and stuff. So I, I don't think there's anything like to cringe about there.
1: Yeah, I still don't even know where I stand with it. I just made a New Year's <laughs> resolution. I was going to stop overthinking it so much and, like, if mm. I wrote something, I'd just share it. So that's no, what
0: I'm doing. I mean, I feel like that with this podcast podcast. podcast though it's because like I have to promote this on social media and I kind of cringe doing it on my own once I'm like people see this every week just you going on about like listen to this week but it's kind of just part of it isn't it and it's it's like how you have to express yourself
1: and I think it's like nobody else is going to be your cheerleader for you so you have to learn to do it yourself and that is something I am so terrible at but I think it's what a lot of people have said to me of just like yeah if you don't big up your own work or big up what you want to do then Nobody else is going to buy into it either, so no. yeah, it's like faking it, just fake it till you make it really, isn't it?
0: Fake it when you make it as well, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a great uh, way to kick off the podcast, but we'd sort of like to start the first question we ask on the podcast, so I'm going to get you to sort of cast your mind back a bit, but I'd like to ask like what our sort of guest's earliest creative memories are, so do you remember when you first sort of were interested in, you know, whether it be poetry or acting or whatever sort of form it took at that young age? <laughs>
1: I've got a really silly story. I don't know if it's helpful at all for a matching artist. But I've got, like, a more serious one, which is kind of, like, my... Not earliest, but the kind of strongest memory I have about being in a theatre, which was we went on a school trip to see King Lear at the Roundhouse. And I remember, I just loved that play as well. And I remember there was the moment where King is doing his massive speech. I mean, the one of many. And it all just started pouring, the stage started pouring with rain. And it was Greg Hicks playing King Lear, I think. And I just, I don't know what it was. Maybe my own relationship with my own dad and seeing like a fragile man have a breakdown on stage but i was so emotional and it had been my te- my drama teacher from secondary school that had taken us to see the show and she's like a real kind of figure i think that made me believe it was something that i could pursue and yeah, that one's definitely sticks in my brain. Seeing someone perform and get mm. such a like visceral, emotional reaction from me. And I was like, oh, I really want to make people feel. <laughs> and that was, that's just always stuck in my brain. And then the other one, which is really silly. Are we allowed to swear?
0: <laughs> oh, I swear it away. You're speaking to a Scot, like okay, of course. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean? Okay,
1: it's not, I mean, it's terrible, terrible swearing. But when I was in year seven, <laughs> me and one of the boys in my class just decided to write a really dirty poem and I have no idea why we just thought it was fun we were in re and it was really fucking boring and the poem like I can't even remember the whole thing but we wrote it on a tiny piece of paper that we'd ripped out of a book and it was something like oh this is saying it out loud is just gonna is so bad (laughs) but it's like wait for your parents to go to bed give your boyfriend lots of head and it was just (laughs) so basic and so rude and we thought we were the funniest people in the world and the teacher found it and read it in front of the whole class and that was the worst attention i ever got oh my god
0: um, they read it out that's class <laughs>
1: they, well they read it they didn't read it out loud but you ah, saw okay. her face right, okay. drop as she was reading the language in front of the whole class and i almost i shit myself it was uh, quite scary <laughs> uh, <laughs> Also just a really weird thing to have to explain to your parents about why you got a detention. I didn't give them the full details. It was...
0: Well, hopefully, hopefully they don't listen to this then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um... Uh, yeah this is the first time they'll find out they'll be very disappointed in me but it's just just
0: get a real just get a real job exclusive there <laughs> <laughs> well so sort of speaking about like to sort of continue on that like another question we sort of follow up with is about where people are from and how that has sort of influenced them as a creative so like firstly where are you from because as I was saying before we started the interview I've, I've not had time to do enough research so that would be <laughs> good place to start.
1: Yeah, no, that is so fine. I am yeah, born and bred in North London. So I we kind of grew up in Southgate and then my parents split up and we moved further to kind of Enfield. So when I say that everyone's like, is that London? I'm like, yeah, it's London, but it is the kind of right right north, like the end of the Piccadilly line. But that's where I grew up. And I I don't know if it's had a I mean, I guess it has. I was kind of sent to a Saturday youth theatre school because my mum, I think, was really worried. I had very, very little self-esteem and confidence and was incredibly shy. And so I think she suggested it as just something she thought would be good for my personality, maybe. (laughs) But it was quite weird because I'd been a really, like, a really confident outgoing, sociable, like I got stuck in as a young child. And then I sort of had a I went through puberty, I think, but really young and just totally went into myself. And so started this Saturday school and that was in Southgate. And I think that was kind of my introduction to the arts. And then Amy Winehouse mm. is a figure who, she grew up very near me, was also Jewish, went to the synagogue that my dad and brother and we were a part of so she was like in real close proximity and obviously that bit of pursuing a sort of career in the arts and as like a Jewish girl from North London as well I I absolutely adored her. But those are kind of where, yeah, my relationship to where I grew up and the arts kind of ends, I guess.
0: No, that's a, that's a very interesting answer. That that comes up a lot, actually. People who are mostly with actors, weirdly, we've had on the podcast, have said in their teenage years they're really shy, maybe, and then they ended up you know, going to a club or something like that, and it really like made them quite sociable. And then when I'm speaking to them, I'm like, I can never believe that you're ever shy because you're you know, very, you know, very confident or whatever. So that, that does come up quite a lot, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like people do just lead very double lives in that there's a way that you can present yourself and then there's all of the other stuff (laughs) but I did find it very very helpful and I also think it's when you find your thing because I think like I went to a really academic school and I don't know I didn't feel like I was particularly good at anything that wasn't creative and then when I was in my drama class I was just like this this is my thing and it's what I know, I'm good at, and mm. I think because so many other people were so exceptional, but is exceptional at uh, like a lot of the kind of more academic subjects. I just really lent into that because it just felt like safe and home I guess so yeah
0: no I totally I totally get that so I was the same at school like I was never amazingly academic at other things but when I was in drama or like a creative course whatever it would be like whether it be music or something outside of school like anything like that I was like this is your thing it's totally true it's like you find your thing and it makes you sort of gives you something that you just don't get yeah from other things in school
1: yeah totally and I think there was an ease with all the people in that class as well like I remember my drama class at secondary school, and none of the other people that were in that class that had chosen to do it for A-levels were part of my friendship group at all we did not hang out outside of that drama class but when we were in there it was so much fun and just a really warm and safe space and I I just I found that really interesting how we just all bonded immediately Mm. almost
0: yeah Um, I'd I'd never thought I've never thought of it before either but I'm just thinking as well when I did drama at school I don't think I was friends with anyone outside that class when we were not in the class but then in the class, yeah. it was all, yeah, that I'd never thought about that. That's so true, though. So just, you know, when you have like a, 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 you remember something you'd not thought about for years. I, I just had that yeah, experience definitely. right there.
1: <laughs> I think so much of it for me was that you got taken, well, me and my friends from school are still like this, but you got taken the piss out of relentlessly. And there's something about being in a drama class where, like, obviously that humour is still there and you can rip the shit out of each other. That's fine. But there was also a level of, it never felt like at anyone's expense. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's why that it did feel like, I think, yeah, just the word is safe. You just felt mm. safe. It's almost like you can
0: because, be, yeah. It's almost like you can be, you can be vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. in a way in a way that you can never be as a teenager around you exactly. just get rinsed like... <laughs> With this, before I sort of go on to sort of talk about Like your earlier career Like when you decided you were going to pursue acting And things like that as a career and things I just have a question as well Which is like about your favourite word from North London So do you have a favourite word from Sort of area you're from Or a phrase that you really like from that area?
1: Oh, this is the hard one Because I feel like so Especially me and my friends from uni Have so many phrases or words that we say And it just doesn't make sense But I mean like don't be a flop That was said a lot <laughs> Don't flop or we, to be honest, I shouldn't say this to a Scot, but like me and my friends always say I can, I do it. I just can, I do it. <laughs> um, and I am actually. My dad is Scottish. My dad's from Glasgow, oh, so <laughs> so that you you can't hate me too much. Um, no, no, no. But yeah, I. But yeah, I don't know where it's come from. I can I do it. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Let me let me get back to you on that one. I think of I mean, like, I mean to before. be fair,
0: if your dad's from Glasgow, I probably don't even sound that Scottish because I feel like anyone from the east coast of Scotland, we'd, if a Glaswegian meets, is like you're not even really Scottish. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I love that you said that though, that's class i would never heard of an English person saying that So fair
1: I don't know why it like trickles into every single conversation we have
0: That's good representation Another
1: thing (laughs) I've noticed that we all say recently is like interesting Like everything is kind of interesting is like a full stop So we'll be in conversation and maybe we'll be having like a really kind of heavy conversation about the Someone will just round it off with interesting, interesting. And I think, I don't know, there's a way, I think people do it as a way of like lightening what you've just been speaking about. Mm. But basically phrases come and go very frequently. And sometimes when I'm writing I have to remind myself that nobody else actually ever says that So because my friend does doesn't necessarily mean it works in dialogue
0: Yeah I, I say the word interesting on the podcast all the time so that's good So uh, but, I mean if I do it now I feel like we're both going to notice it But I feel like I'm always like that's really interesting Yeah that's really interesting something you just say It's like the natural way of moving Yeah conversation.
1: totally <laughs> It was also just quite nice. It, I, I'd like to think that at least one thing I say in this whole session will be interesting. I'm
0: sure it already has, but you don't mean it. I am very sincere. <laughs> you know, when I say it, I, I mean it like should I mean it? But you sort of touched on uni there, but I just sort of wondered after like after you left school and stuff, what were your sort of next steps? Did you go to pursue acting? Did you go to drama school or anything like that? Or like what was the sort of
1: Yeah, so I went to uni first and did drama and a lot of the kind of modules we were able to take up were in playwriting as well. So my dissertation was writing a play and I went to UEA in Norwich, which I loved. And like, yeah, I loved my time there.
0: Mm. And
1: then after UEA, I took a year out, wrote a show with a really close friend and was auditioning for drama schools and got um, a scholarship to go to Oxford And so I went to Oxford and did the postgraduate for a year.
0: Oh wow! Um, What was it like going to somewhere like Oxford, which is obviously on very like glamorous to a lot of people, I imagine.
1: Oxford, like I mean, Oxford Drama School is separate to Oxford Uni, so it didn't really feel like other than living in. Oxford, it didn't feel like we were involved in the university at all. It's actually incredibly secluded. Like Oxford Drama School is kind of in a converted barn just outside of Woodstock, so it's not even really in Oxford city centre. And there's just it's just surrounded by fields. So I think if I'd been there for any longer than a year, I'd have gone batshit crazy. I don't know how the three year students did it, but yeah, I I don't know. I have very mixed feelings about drama school, to be honest. There was a lot of misogyny and racism and a culture of fear that I don't think is productive for anyone trying to learn. And then they'd constantly say that you had to get good at failing at things. And it was like, how can I be good at failing at things when I feel terrified all the time? But on the other hand, I met some of my closest friends one of which I still live with. And some of the teachers were phenomenal and I learned so much and I'm so grateful for my time there. And I don't think I'd be where I am without having had that training. But yeah, a lot of the stuff that happened, I found like relatively, I feel like traumatic is too strong a word, but coming out of it and going straight into the industry, I felt like I had to shake off a lot of what had gone on at drama school rather than it actually having made me feel confident or prepped for the industry which actually uni had done. I felt really free and prepared for like making work and being creative coming out of UEA. I think they were really good at that. So yeah.
0: Mm. And to sort of And on the stuff you're talking about Like the culture of fear And misogyny and race and stuff Do you think that is like A systematic thing of drama school in general Or do you think it was maybe Just specific to your thing Because I've heard quite a lot of people Talk about that Especially the thing Culture of failure And like being really scared to fail So obviously you don't really want People coming out of drama school Feeling like that Because that's not really productive For the industry at all
1: Totally And I think it's interesting Because so many Oxford grads as well That I've met Have just been dreamy Really really wonderful people to work with And I think a lot of people Sort of Not thought against it but like ended up not going along with the sort of uh, competitiveness that I feel like it bred in you and forming their own companies and making like really really great work and I think that's what's exciting about it when you meet people that you're like I want to work with you it's really empowering because you you can take back that control but I just think when you're at a drama school whatever drama school it is if there's that sort of I don't know, culture of sort of belittling people or pitting you up against each other, which I felt like was done a lot. It's so hard to be free in Mm -hmm. your exploration of it and to see your peers as your friends and your colleagues as opposed to your competition. Yeah, I I felt like the year I was at drama school, if I'm really honest, it, it made me incredibly competitive and not a version of myself I liked at all. And also not a better actor when you're in that state anyway. So yeah, I think it is a huge problem with all drama schools I think it is And it is coming from Essentially You've got a group of people That are ready To make themselves Incredibly vulnerable And if you play on that It's just A little bit dangerous I think
0: Yeah 100% Well thank you Gemma For being honest About your experience as well Because it's good at, That's what we like About this podcast Because we don't. it's it was obviously Great for people to come on If they'd had a really Good time at drama school And talk about it But I'd, I'd like to think That you wouldn't just come on And not mention the stuff That happened there That wasn't good either Because it's good for people Listening to know the truth Do you know what I mean So thank you for share yeah, that
1: totally. And I don't want to put off anyone going because I think like it is an incredible experience, an incredible way into the industry. And from what I've heard, is getting much better. Yeah, there's just lots of stuff that needs to be sorted. I
0: think. Mm. Well, the, the sort of competitive thing you're talking about. So I work in TV, so that's a slightly different part of the industry, but the similarities. And when I was at film school and stuff, there was that a little bit of that as well, where like felt like you had to be in competition with other people for jobs and stuff. And I've never ever adopted that because I mean this whole podcast is about me, you know, and making a community. For people in the arts And to give them knowledge And stuff But even with my friends And networks Like you don't get successful By doing that Like you know The jobs and the success you get Is you celebrate Other people's success so I think it just It makes you feel better As a person But I think it also Gets you ahead further Because you know People want to work with you If you're nice Like I never get That's this
1: it. Yeah I've come across Like people have said this So much recently And I could not agree more Like the rooms I've been in Where not necessarily The best actor in the world But just someone That is lovely And up for it And really easy to work with I would get them back in a heartbeat if I ever had that position of power Mm. do you know what I mean and I think that is I mean I've been thinking about this recently so much going into kind of work with the NHS and seeing all of that stuff happening when you're making entertainment you're making shows you're being creative like it really is fun and joyful and playful and there's just no room for ego in it I don't think and the minute you can smell that on someone, you just won't want to work with them again. So it's just pointless.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And talking about the NHS, obviously I want before we sort of go on to talk about Agatha, the play and stuff that's coming out next week, I just wanted to talk talk to you about your poem, your spoken word poem you did about working for the NHS because you won an award for it and it is an amazing poem. So I don't know if you want to just sort of talk about how that came about and like your experiences maybe working for the NHS and how you ended up writing that poem as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about like if I were to give advice to people and stuff. That poem was quite silly. I wrote it in about like two hours post one of my work days. And it was because I'd seen this competition had come up and I was like, oh, I don't feel like receptionists have a good reputation <laughs> at all. And I'd seen just how hard they'd all worked with no kind of a break really throughout the pandemic and just wanted to essentially pay tribute to some of the new friends I'd made in this job and entered it and ended up winning. And it was very, very surprised Because like some of my other poetry I feel is more accomplished than that but I think that there was maybe there was something in it and it and it won and I think like that's what I've been thinking about a lot is just kind of putting yourself out there with things that you wouldn't expect and a lot of the time we find these kind of excuses for not putting stuff out there because like whether you're scared of it or I don't know you have an idea but you don't think it's good enough whatever it is if you see an application where it's like oh have you got a seed of something we're interested or do you want to enter a poem or like anything like that I just think sometimes it's best to just go for it because all of the times that I have just gone for it those have been the kind of few things that have ended up sort of landing and then going on to do more things but yeah the NHS job has been really eye-opening and has actually given me I think a much healthier perspective on like art and my career and ambition and there is a version of my life I think that in a few years time maybe just retrains and goes into nursing or something like that i say that now i don't think i'll do it but i'm getting like happier with that sort of idea because uh, yeah in all honesty i don't think i've ever felt as creative as i have being in that job and just meeting so many different people and seeing people at like real high stakes in life Mm. i guess yeah It sounds so wanky and very, very cliche, but I've never been in a building where I've seen so much like poetry in human life. Um, I sound like a twat. Not at all.
0: Not at all. I'm not laughing at you (laughs) like that. I was laughing at what you said before. No, it's, it's lovely, actually. That's really nice.
1: Yeah, you just see like, I don't know, love and connection and care in a way that is just really, yeah, stripped back. And very raw And I think Gives me all the feelings mate
0: (laughs) I I I totally get you Before I worked in As a script editor In TV and stuff I worked I was a carer for nearly five years With like disabled adults And like it's a totally different world To the one I work in And to sort of go back To what we were talking about Five minutes ago With like the competitiveness stuff Like obviously I love making TV And working in it But it's not It doesn't matter If a show doesn't get made At the end of the day No one's died It doesn't really matter Whereas like what I was doing before that's like real life that's like and sometimes when you see people with egos in tv or or film or whatever art form you're like this is not even real life really like you should it doesn't matter and like you know what you're talking about that's real so Mm -hmm. I think it's good to have that perspective as an artist
1: 100% totally and I think it's like you can take the work really seriously and you can believe in the importance of telling stories and I really really do but at the end of the day you're right like it you're making art that people will enjoy or they won't enjoy. And it's not really the end of the world if they don't. And I think that has actually been something that's been really helpful for me because I get very bad anxiety about how I'm perceived or, or how my work is perceived or whatever. And I think it's been or like throughout the rehearsal process of the show I'm doing at the minute, it's been really helpful to just go, do you know what, we're putting on a play and we're going to entertain people. And if they come for an hour and are entertained and have had a laugh or have had a cry I've done my job and other than that I don't need to prove anything to anyone and I think yeah just working in healthcare really really helps those realizations
0: <laughs> no 100% have you watched any of this is going to hurt yet have you seen the series of it
1: yeah I've just finished the first episode and it's brilliant
0: it's so good isn't it I've got I've got the finale to watch after I'm going to watch after this interview but it's such a good series and again just what we're talking about it's just like it really captures like well I imagine it captures what the NHS is like it's insane but what what a show
1: yeah it's really good and I yeah it I feel like it captures a lot of the nuance and how horrendous some of the patients can be but ultimately the care that is happening and essentially what happens to a system that is built to support and care for people, and you don't fund it properly. I think like that is the most important story to tell at the minute, after everything we've been through.
0: 100%, yeah. No, 100%. Hello, it's JB here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys ...that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated and, I mean, there's lots of podcasts, we all love podcasts... ...but it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So, doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth and just telling friends and family to listen or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. No, but I well, I very much enjoyed like the sort of NHS chat we're having there because it is very important. But of course, it would be bad of me to have you on without talking about Agatha, which is out next week. It, well, it's out today. The, the day this episode is going out, it's out now. So today is opening day when people are hearing this, which is really exciting.
1: Yes, it <laughs> will be opening night, which is terrifying. But yeah, I'm very... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to putting it in front of an audience. I have no idea how it's going to go, but I think we've made... Quite an interesting piece that's a bit different about something that I think just should be spoken about a little bit more. And yet, it's just got, it's full of incredible music from our composer. The cast are great. And yeah, I just think it's quite silly and then when it hits the more emotional heavy stuff because you've been able to have a laugh a bit before you get to that point I think it's um it's a nice healthy balance
0: yeah and like how how is it for you because I know you obviously are starring in the show like you're acting in it but you'd also written it and it obviously is very close to you so how how did how do you divide that as an artist like it's so obviously they're kind of different things but they tie in
1: yeah I think so the process of writing it has been really long not necessarily because I've spent loads of time writing it I've just spent a lot of time with it in my brain. So a lot of time thinking about it. And then again, like I was saying before, I applied for Vault Five, which is the programme that selects five artists and kind of mentors them through making something. And that was a real massive thing to happen for this show. Cause I think it essentially just gave it an end goal when it gave me really great sort of guidance and support so I had mentoring from John Britton who's just brilliant and like has a real lovely way at giving constructive feedback and uh, yeah essentially without the director and him and we also got Arts Council funding to do an an R&D last year in March yeah it wouldn't be where it is and I think it's interesting because a lot of people have asked kind of what what it's like to perform your own writing and I actually think it's great because I write it as an actor as well. So I feel like I'm really in the physicality of it, even when I'm mm. writing, because I'm always thinking about how it would be performed. But I also think the role of the director is just even more important when you then are doing your own work, because I almost can't see it now for what it is because it I've been with it for too long. Whereas Martha just comes into the rehearsal space and just finds things that I would never have thought of and finds ways of helping me keep it fresh, even though I've sat with it for two years and i just think yeah without her it would just it wouldn't be very good and then the stuff about it kind of yeah being very personal i think i've had to find a balance there of using obviously stuff that is true and real and from conversations and people in my life and then also find a lot of the imagination in it because that is how it stays safe for me and not self-indulgent, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's, that's really interesting. And it's also including quite a lot of spoken word and, and music and things as well as acting, isn't it?
1: There's, yeah, there's bits of poetry in there because I think one of the questions I'm exploring in it is like ambition in art, I guess. And yeah, so there's, there's a lot of spoken word and some poetry, which we've sort of worked into the story of it. So it has a point. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's class And do you want to just Well, obviously, we'll link all this in the show notes of the podcast But do you want to tell the listeners where it's on And, like, how they can get tickets It's, it's out today as well, obviously, so
1: <laughs> so last minute I think some of our nights are sold out But Double check that because there'll be returns. We all know there's going to be returns because of the world we're in now. But but yeah, it's on at the Pleasance Theatre, the 1st to the 5th of March, sort of alternates between 6pm and 8pm. So if people want to book tickets, just go to the Pleasance website and it's Agatha and that's where they can book.
0: Oh, that's cool. It's a shame I'm not in London next week, actually. I generally think I'm in London the week after, which is typical. This happens every time I interview somebody that's got a play on in London. I'm always there like the week after their plays on and I never get to go, but just (laughs) like...
1: <laughs> You've had a, a preview, mate. You've had a exactly, little Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'll, I'll accept that. But I, ju- I also, speaking of spoken word, I actually just wanted to sort of ask you about that specifically. Like, how do you kind of write spoken word? Do you like, do you tend to write it on page first and then read it out? Or do you like speak it and then maybe write stuff down? Like, what's the sort of process behind that?
1: I write it straight down. And I think I just I'll have a thing that I've been thinking about that day, whether it's like an observation or a bit of dialogue I've heard. And I write it down. And I think there's something about free writing that I really love because it just stops me overthinking, which is something that I do a lot. And I think there is something in spoken word that allows me to be really playful without trying to be clever and like don't get me wrong some of the spoken word artists I've heard are some of the like most intelligent people that I've met or work that's been made but I think for me as someone who sometimes gets trapped in like oh is it intelligent or interesting or whatever there's something about like just finding the like most basic words and putting it down and being silly and playful with them that has freed up a lot of um, my writing I think so yeah a lot of it is essentially like improvisation on page i guess i just if a line comes out i'll write it down and then see if i can work with it and yeah i find it, it really therapeutic i love writing a lot
0: yeah no i just i was really interested because we'd not had a lot of spoken word artists on the podcast i think we maybe had one other mm. so it's something i don't know as much about as maybe i know about other art forms for interviewing people but no it's a very interesting process
1: yeah i think there's because i wrote bridge which was like a sort of a 25 minute spoken word story and i think I really like sort of blending theatre and spoken word in like how to... I just love the musicality of kind of spoken poetry or performed poetry. And I think when you can make that into narrative, there's just something really beautiful about it, hopefully. And yeah, it's just a form that I think you can play with and be experimental with. And I don't know, a lot of theatre... I found quite judgmental or like theatre groups or people in theatre, I found quite like judgmental or very critical. And and that's all like necessary and, and worthwhile. But there has been something about the groups of people I've met with spoken word that, or just poetry, whatever you want to call it, that feel really open and friendly. And I think, again, it's what we were talking about right at the beginning of there being a space where people are sharing like very intimate truths or like vulnerability or whatever. And a safe space kind of has to be created for you to do that. And it has just meant that I've found like even the organizations that support those poets and stuff I found them really really like lovely
0: yeah no that's really interesting see now I'm saying that because we talked about that earlier when I say the word interest and I'm like you just said intro oh, no. but it, is, it generally is it's really it's really interesting to me well I've got some sort of final questions which I'll start to wrap things up with but before that I usually do the thing on the podcast where I sort of ask some quick fire questions so these are a bit like less well I don't know why I ironically I'm explaining a quick, what a quick fire question is <laughs> not very quick is it
1: <laughs> oh god I'm scared
0: but, oh it's cool the, well, the first one is like sort of who are you sort of, biggest influences as an artist
1: oh god these are always the questions that just totally <laughs> go through me and I yeah oh, Amy Winehouse is so cliche to say isn't it
0: not really it, she, it I mean, is. she is a, she is an icon to be fair
1: I I she's an icon I love her lyrics K Tempest a very basic thing to say <laughs> but they're so good they are so good and who else I really when I kind of was writing spoken word George the Poet was someone that I was listening to a lot I mm. really loved Bryony Kimmings, like more theatre based I loved Richard Gad's most recent play, Baby Reindeer Self Esteem, the musician Oh she's
0: um, so good, it. she's so good <laughs>
1: so I only recently good. listened
0: to her album But somebody at work turned me on to her And I love it, it's, it's great
1: yeah, so good. I love her lyrics and everything about her, the way she holds herself. And that song, I Do This All the Time, came out when I was going through like the most brutal breakup. And I just feel like I've loved her ever since. Thank you, Self Esteem, for that. Yeah, those are the first people that come to mind. There are so many more, but yeah.
0: It's a very good answer. They weren't, you know, you started off being self conscious of the Amy Wayne, it was a bad answer. You build up loads of people. So I think mean, you know, it's a very good answer. The next of the quick fire ones So as an actor If you could play anyone From history that's alive Or dead or whatever Who would you Sort of like to play So it could be like A historic figure Or just anyone That you maybe admire That you think would be cool to play
1: I don't really have an answer for this But What I would love You know the marvellous Mrs Maisel
0: Yeah it's very good isn't it It's a great show. Yeah. I've only seen the first um... scene very good
1: yeah that's like a famous Jewish comedian from history. It'd be lovely if a Jewish person could play her because I don't think that actress is Jewish and she's great it doesn't bother me but maybe I could play it.
0: <laughs> that's a really good answer to be fair that's good.
1: So yeah some someone someone maybe with humour part of like I'd love to explore like Jewish history a bit more in some of the work that I've done and yeah can't think of anyone right now but them
0: (laughs) no it's a very very good answer i I like it and another one what's the sort of best venue like your favorite venue you'd ever had the pleasure to perform in do
1: you know i loved there's loads and i'm sure i'll forget them but i loved leeds playhouse i think i loved leeds as a city i just really really enjoyed myself in that space and i felt yeah everyone in that venue was just like really gorgeous to work with and yeah i liked being out of london actually I really, really liked that space.
0: Yeah. I've never been to Leeds actually. I've heard it's a great place though. I'd like to go.
1: Yeah, it's a really lovely, it's a really lovely city with a lot going on and yeah, I don't want to make a stereotype about northern people being friendly, but everyone in that venue was very friendly and I really enjoyed my time there. So that yeah. That's probably my favourite
0: Oh cool And this isn't even really A podcast question It's more just like I'm curious But like Would you ever Speaking of getting in London Would you ever like Consider doing Something at the Edinburgh Fringe Or anything like that Like have you performed there before
1: Yeah I've performed A lot at Edinburgh Fringe And I I absolutely love it I love Mm. I love Edinburgh I love Scotland I really really love the Fringe And have loved Doing Taking shows up there And feeling part of the buzz Like There's just not Adrenaline like it Mm. However I am very, like, aware that it is flawed in how you have to financially support yourself doing that. I... Don't know how I'd do it as an adult now. Like I feel like mm. I've gone with like lots of student stuff and had shows produced before that have gone up, but it's just so expensive. It's so expensive.
0: I it's, it's mental. Um, yeah. I mean, and
1: that is the only thing that would stop me like going back every year, I think.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's a crazy thing. Even living in the city. Like I live in Edinburgh at the moment, and like I love this city's bit, but like Something is also a little bit flawed in the sense that like everyone suddenly comes here for one month and it's like the place only exists to people for one month of the year and it's like no one cares about the artistic scene the rest of the year. That doesn't sit right with me either as much as I do love the fringe. So there is flaws to it but it is great. No, to
1: totally. Make. I remember one time performing at Edinburgh Festival and we were doing like our marketing on the mile as you do and I was stood in in character on one of the, what they called, the boulder things and a, a random Scott just came up Lifted me up and just ran off carrying me. And I just feel like that is the attitude of a lot of Scottish people when Edinburgh is totally taken over by all these fucking students bringing up their plays. It's just like, get out of here. And this guy literally lifted me, threw me over his shoulder, and started running down the mile. And I had like a director chasing me. It was, I mean, it was terrifying at the time, but kind of funny now. But I can imagine, yeah, I totally agree. You've got to, you've got to put in the effort outside of that one month, you know?
0: Yeah, well, that wasn't really meant to be partly quick, fire question, but you know, I, I, who cares? It was, it was a good, I enjoyed the chat. I started to wrap things up because I know you'd been nearly on for an hour and you have been like working today and stuff and we'll have a life as well, but I've just got three more questions for you. And the first of them is, and you start to be free, given some great advice throughout this interview already, but the sort of third, third of the last questions I've got is what would you sort of say the three essential skills somebody would need to have to sort of do what you do in the art? So like what are three things you think somebody would really need to have to do what you do?
1: I think the ability to listen is very important. The ability to not take yourself too seriously, again, important. I mean, there's lots of people taking themselves very seriously in this industry, but I just don't think it's necessary and it's kind of annoying. (laughs) So, yeah, listening, being silly and playful and fun. And I mean, I think there's a huge thing of like knowing the right people and That, again, I think is a flaw in the industry. Like so much of it is nepotism. So much of it is your financial background. And I think so then I would turn that problem into advice by saying, don't be afraid to ask for help ever, whether that's like, Ask someone if they'd be up for mentoring you, ask someone if they'd be up for a coffee, ask someone if they'd be up for recommending you. I just think I really do believe if you don't ask, you don't get. And sometimes I think we're made to feel so scared of asking for help and you can't do it on your own. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. So, yeah.
0: No, that, that's very true, particularly the last one as well. Like, uh, no, that's a really important thing to bring up. And like, I think sometimes people do feel like the sort of stigma attached that they can't maybe be like, I'm struggling or whatever. And I think it's so important in this industry which can be very, very stressful and have a lot of pressure that you, you can you can ask for help. It's absolutely normal to as well.
1: Totally. And it's that thing of like, if you don't know how to produce or write an Arts Council application, ask someone who does. And m- like more often than not, they'll be willing to sit down and go through it with you. And like, I would not have got funding for my shows without friends that have helped in those sort of situations. So yeah, I just think it, yeah, it's really important not to feel like you have to be a soldier and do it all on
0: your own. 100%, 100%. Just get a real job. And of course, the name of the podcast is Just Get a Real Job. And we'd all had to work jobs we maybe didn't like and, and hated. But what's the sort of worst part time job or worst real job you'd ever had to work in your life so far?
1: Oh, God. Do you know it was probably it's not necessarily the hardest, but catering. I used to like, I was part of a kind of catering company that would host events in like really posh places and I just hated it number one I think the building that we used to work in where they'd hold these events was just like so many staircases up and down and you'd be running up and down and up and up, up and down with canapés holding them and just the people were so so posh and really dismissive of you just being there and i found that really difficult mm. yeah that's probably my least favorite and then i'd say like some of the jobs that i've had just all customer service i think i've worked so many customer service jobs and just like I have to really really remind myself that people are good (laughs) at the end of the day uh, because you just come across so many horrible people yeah and that yeah that would be it
0: no, I mean, Fair absolutely fair I mean customers have jobs always tend to be the most popular answer to this question but like it's a good question to ask because so many people in this industry have to be working jobs they maybe don't love and particularly like and I think this question just cheers people up listening because like other people have done it too and you know they're still they're still making art too so you know it's a good one to ask
1: yeah I really like we were saying before I think that I think that there is really really no shame in having other jobs because you get again it sounds so basic and and cliche but you do get inspiration from them like you can't not everyone is an actor and not everyone is a writer and not everyone are in is in these kind of arty circles and I think it gives you real perspective getting outside of those jobs and just coming into contact with more people uh, is always 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 a good thing for art and work I think. I've never really really for longer than a year I think I kind of had one year where I was just acting straight for a year and that was able to support me but other than that I've always had another job and I don't regret any of them.
0: So yeah Yeah No 100% 100% percent Well, I have one more question for you And to be fair Like I feel like Every answer you'd give It's been like Really insightful And quite well thought out And full of advice But sort of I like the guest To sort of end on Like to summing up their, what their advice would be to anyone wants to work and doing what they do, but like I feel like you've just given so much, but like I don't know <laughs> if you can. But if you could summarize kind of what you'd said and what your takeaway message would be to anyone listening, just in general, but particularly like maybe who wants to be a spoken word artist or an actor or a writer, etc.
1: I think find your people. Like find your people that make you feel. I keep saying safe, but I just think it's the right word. But find your people that whose work you respect, whose advice and feedback you respect, and who make you feel safe. <laughs> Again, that bloody word. But I just think without those people, it's really hard to know if you're on the right path or if you want to be doing what you're doing. And there's real practical advice to give for like, if you want to get into spoken word, look for the organizations that are really like helping support those kind of artists and there's competitions like bbc words first which is what i did and organizations like apples and snakes who are who are amazing organizations that support emerging kind of poets and stuff the roundhouse but i think through finding those things and through finding your people and your team you find the work you want to make and the people that you want to work with as well because Nobody wants to work with someone they don't like, I don't think.
0: No, 100%. And just to also say, like, I think the word safe is a, is a great word to use because as a creative person, if you can't feel safe, then you're not going to make very good stuff. So, you know, totally. I think-
1: you're just- yeah you're worried about stuff that isn't important I think about how you're coming across if it's embarrassing all of that stuff just needs to go out the window
0: yeah no 100% Gemma thank you so much for chatting today I've loved this conversation and I'm not I'm not just saying that you've you've been a great guest and it has been really insightful so thank you for chatting to me on a Tuesday evening at seven o'clock I very much appreciate your time
1: no thank you so much for having me it's been really fun and great questions got me thinking so thank you
0: pleasure Well, there you go. That was my conversation with Gemma. Thank you again to her for her time. I honestly really, really loved that conversation. I thought what she had to say was really, really interesting and insightful. Be sure to go and check for resale tickets for agatha as well like i said at the start that's out today best of luck to gemma and the team with that as well hope it goes really well really well and i'm sad to be missing it and as always as well if you're enjoying this podcast if you're enjoying listening to just get a real job be sure to support us in a number of ways either by sharing us on social media telling friends and fam to listen rating us and subscribing to us and donating to our patreon page as well and as i said at the start of the podcast as well this week i've linked Some charities that are supporting Displaced Ukrainians from the war That Russia is waging on them So be sure to go and support those causes as well But anyway that's all we got time for this week I'll be back again next Tuesday With another episode of Just Get A Real Job But until then, wherever you are in the world I hope you're well and goodbye for now
1: Just get a real job